Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. Oh, Kate, your your voice? What? It's. I sound it, like a Californian, don't I? Yeah. Practicing my California diction. Oh, yeah. yeah. We were going to try to pull the, the wool over your ears. Is that a saying? <laughs> it is now. Or eyes if you're watching on YouTube. But today, this is, this is great. Um, Kate is away. Kate Nishimura. <laughs> <laughs> is away um, doing um, – she's at a conference um, all about Japanese-Canadian artists. So she's meeting lots of really cool people from across um, our country um, and doing uh, some collaborations with dancers and things. So she couldn't be here for this episode. And then we thought, hey, why don't we get a guest co-host and why not replace Kate with Kate? So here is Caitlin Bove. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited yeah, to be here. This is great. I'm really yeah. glad it worked out. And it came to the point where I, I texted Caitlin and I asked <laughs> all of this thing, like a big text about, hey, it would be great if you could come talk to Jennifer Jolly with me, blah, blah, blah. And then I forgot you moved. And in Canada, if you move, you switch phone numbers. So when Which you responded, dumb. I didn't know if it was actually you. Um, right. But even if another stranger had come on board, you probably – you imagine? That would have made it work. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I don't know. I, Just I some dude named Carl. <laughs> He's like a bartender. That could be know. fun too. He could have had some cool questions. Real conversation. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm just I am I'm really glad <laughs> that you're here um, and you were able to do this. Your lifesaver. Um, Thanks. How's it going? I'm doing well. Well, yeah, I'm doing yeah. well. Yeah. That's good. I spent all week substitute teaching for some high school music programs in my yes. area, which is and you're no longer in Washington. You're now in yeah. back home in. California, right? That is true. I am in, I am about 10 minutes from where I grew up teaching oh, wow. at my home community college. I actually went to this school um, when I was younger. I, I took a math class, which I failed and then <laughs> dropped. So technically I'm an alumna is that, mm-hmm. or, or a dropout, one or the other, oh, but okay. success story either way. I'm back, baby. Yeah. And running yeah. the bands. There you go. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I was so glad to see it and you know, it's a it's a dream. What you are doing, you know, ten minutes from home, that'd be a dream for me. Um, but um, there's and you're doing lots of cool things. And one one cool thing that I want, I because I we talked about maybe plugging some things, and one of them Great. is you're at Diablo Valley College, yes. and on Facebook you you sent out all the super cool graphics and posters for your season, and you got a concert coming up. I do, yeah. At the end of September on the 29th, if you happen to be in the East Bay area, you want to come out to a community college band concert. It's actually, I'm not even billing it as a concert. We're calling it an interactive Mm -hmm. music experience because I'm not going to lie. I myself get bored in concert audiences when there's just the music and the musicians uh, sometimes. So I like it when there's a little extra stuff. So we're going to be doing a Top Gun themed concert and uh, mostly inspired. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mostly inspired by um, Top Gun Maverick coming out this summer. It was just such a great movie, like amazing 80s nostalgia and super feel good. Uh, so in addition to some Top Gun music we're performing, we're also just doing music uh, surrounding aviation and the history of flight, uh, mm-hmm. the history of the naval aviation, uh, and um, some fun extras like uh, a Q&A with a real pilot. We've got a paper airplane throwing contest during the concert. <laughs> We've also uh, got a cool raffle where we're giving away like uh, a free flight lesson, some tickets to SF Fleet Week, 
And uh, I, I even got my hands on a Top Gun model airplane that we're going to raffle away. So selfie wall, aviator sunglasses. There's even going to be like maybe a secret Tom Cruise uh look like uh, appearance <laughs> with a sing-along with the audience wink wink so yeah wow. we're really excited i was just thinking of like that tom cruise deep fake on tiktok yeah that i yeah. No. but this is where you're a real haven't. impersonator no not real no. Impersonator. <laughs> okay. but someone who is gonna maybe yeah. do a little bit of righteous brothers on stage impromptu so wow. yeah it's this kind of stuff i remember last time and then you're like oh please don't but you make me you make me want to work harder and try try harder do i want to like, do i make you want to be a better man dylan is that what you're trying yeah, to say yeah okay <laughs> okay too late <laughs> um <laughs> and for those of you listening on the the, the uh, listening form i just pointed to my ring so okay. yeah somewhere well this, this is multiple people purely platonic sir yes anyway um <laughs> it's going downhill quick <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I think I think it's a super super cool program, and I just I Thank love you. this that it, you know we're involving beyond well even beyond the community that you think that we would normally think of involving. Um, so oh yeah, I've cool. got I've got people coming from film studies. I've got people mm-hmm. coming from engineering. I've got people coming from our veteran services. So just trying to tap into a lot of yeah. uh, communities that would enjoy the concert, but not necessarily have a band mm-hmm. concert on their radar. That's kind of right. my goal. No, oh, it's fantastic. And speaking of things that might not be on people's radars, you got a couple of consortiums too, right? Oh yeah, man! Thanks for letting me do all these plugs, Dylan. Hey, no problem. Wow. No problem. Hey, uh, yeah. So I've got two consortiums that uh, I'm uh, co-running right now. So the first one I'll plug is the one we are running through. Uh, California Band Directors Association. It's part of our Social Impact Consortium for 2023. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be a grade two and a half uh, piece for wind band, uh, three movement suite uh, being written by Marie Douglas. She is a composer uh, from Louisiana. She Mm -hmm. is currently doing her doctorate at University of Memphis and her husband just got the marching band director position at University of Southern California. So hopefully Mm -hmm. she's going to be a Californian soon. But it's a really cool project. Uh, The piece is called I Am Enough, and it's on the topic of teen mental health. So each of the movements is kind of exploring uh, the process of a teen working through some mental health issues with a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. And we are also teaming up with some music therapists and music health professionals to build out a curriculum to accompany the piece. So any consortium member uh, gets a chance to get their hands on that curriculum as well to hopefully engage their students or their audiences in the topic of teen mental health and kind of overcoming some of the big stressors and other things in our environment that are happening. So if you're interested in that one, you can go to cbda.org slash social dash impact dash consortium. That one's really exciting. Cool. And then the other one that I'm co-hosting with your teacher, Dylan, <gasps> Dr. Jason Kasler, yes. is a piece that this is, is going to cool be composed. One. Yeah. By Allison Loggins Hull. This will be her second piece for Wind Band. Her first piece uh, I commissioned last year was The Loop. And that was a really cool piece with uh, an electroacoustic track. Um, but this one is going to be purely acoustic. And it's a grade five work uh, mm-hmm. between five and eight minutes. And it'll be uh, delivered in May or June of 2023. And that one's going to be really cool because it's her first c- complete work um, for wind band without without any kind of additional effects. Um, she's got an awesome 
a compositional voice, and she's currently a fellow at uh, Cleveland Orchestra. So we're really excited to uh, have her putting more of her time towards the wind band. Um, But if you're interested in that one, you can either email me at kbove, B-O-V-E, at dbc.edu, or Jason Kasler at jkasler, C-A-S-L-O-R, at asu.edu. Awesome. And all that stuff will somewhere on the screen slide up and you'll see it or you'll hear it because it will be and or you'll see it you'll still see it because it'll be in our episode notes all of the above there yeah yes. and this is and it's a, it, especially with allison like that this is your chance to get involved before she really blows up oh she gonna blow up yeah i think marie's gonna blow up too oh yeah be like they're both so amazing and yeah. marie's background is hbcu style music mm-hmm. too so i just think all that needs to be coming out more yeah and then after you join that consortium, you can also listen to our interview with Marie. Check it out. Um, and then speak, one last one last plug. I, I lied. We have a couple more. But we also have a consortium, too, at the Band Room Podcast. Yes. E. Kara Hamill is writing us uh, a piece for 10 wins, which I think there needs to be more chamber music that isn't um, old and white and dead. So uh, awesome. <laughs> you can become part of that. And we, if you visit bandroompod.com slash consortium, you have all the information there in an easy way just to um, support. And even if you can't support financially, if you could share all of these consortiums, it's it's all good stuff. The world's becoming a better place. You hear about mm-hmm. these topics, the things that the, these wonderful artists are writing about and, and the things they have to say. So please um, check those things out. But speaking of things that we have to say, we had the great opportunity to have a good chat with with Jennifer Jolly, composer, conductor, and professor person. And I, I thought it was great that because I actually didn't I knew you were friends, but I didn't know you were like you were really friends, you know? Oh yeah, we're pretty good friends. Yeah, we're like so. Midwest roommate friends. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's serious. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it, it so it was it was it was great to to have, have both of you on and, and to to have this conversation. Um she's someone that I, I haven't been able to meet in person but have been inspired from afar for so long and um there's just so much in this conversation that that was that was just great reminders for me and i know it will hit home with a lot of people um about talking about failure and using it as a vehicle for growth through her her blog why compose um and and lots of other things that um not only her kind of musical upbringing but um writing music that isn't just music and that has something to say maybe politically or about social justice issues and things like that Yes, love Jen for her honesty and candor mm-hmm. and lack of filter. Just stop. <laughs> yeah, I may have to put a couple bleeps in. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that so that's uh, it was a great conversation, and you'll hear it very soon. But before we do that, Kate, I love how I don't have to change anything really. Um, <laughs> Kate, could you could you tell people about what they could do for us? Yes, you can do us a huge favor by heading over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to find podcasts like this one and give the Band Room Podcast a rating and a review. This really helps others find the podcast and helps spread the word. It sure does. Wow, that was excellent. That was very good. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I've been, <laughs> Dylan, this is like, you're giving me my chance, brother. I'm breaking uh, out. Yeah, like next week, some <laughs> there'll be another band <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Um, no, yeah. So please do those things. It truly does help. Um, and um, we like to do the review of the month. So far, we haven't been able to do that because we don't get a review a month. It's free. This is a free resource for you. All I'm, all we're asking, is that you just you know a little five star, little uh, little typey type, and uh, that's all. That's all. Yeah. Maybe you're gonna find a find a review in there from 
somebody with a name like Bobe. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I go back to yeah. There you go. There Kobe. Okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. Sneaky. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one way in which you can help the podcast. If you are someone who's got a couple extra pennies in your pocket and you live in the States where they still have pennies, we don't have them in Canada anymore, um, maybe you would consider becoming a patron of the Bandroom Podcast um, where you can have access to bonus episodes, in which we recorded today. If you want to hear some funny travel stories from Jen, Caitlin, and I, um, you can hear that. You have access to merchandise and hangs with uh, Kate and I, as well as stickers. And who doesn't love a good sticker? The stickers so, are really cool. Yeah, they're cool. Did they we are. send you one? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> That could have backfired really quickly. <laughs> They're cool. And I've been waiting for one this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you can learn more about all of those wonderful things and fun conversations with our guests by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod. That's patreon.com slash bandroompod for more. But without further ado, here is our conversation with Jennifer Jolly. Here we are for another exciting band room podcast. And my goodness, this one is doubly exciting. And uh, we, we've already, well, we will have recorded the intro at this point, so you'll know who's with me. But we are not only joined by guest co-host Caitlin Bove, but we are joined by composer, conductor, and professor person extraordinaire, Jennifer Jolly. <laughs> Welcome to the band room. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah, this is great. I'm so glad it worked out. And, uh, and you know, I'm not by myself, so I have some support. This is great. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm here to support you, Dylan. Thank you. Through everything. Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> through, <laughs> through everything. Okay. Everything. Um, well, I guess we'll, we'll just start where, where we usually start. Um, where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? Oh, goodness. Um, I was fascinated with the piano as a child. Um, I you know, had music in a church. And I remember always watching the uh, pianist like play little songs on the piano and I would just stare at her. And uh, a lot of friends of my mom was like, you need to get her a piano. So uh, they eventually got me a piano, which was great. I also do remember going to like a, um, a, a party or something like at the at someone's house and there were lots of kids and I was like I'm gonna play this song from church on the piano and I played the middle C and then I played G because it surrounded the little lock that you have on the upright right. piano and it did not sound like that song <laughs> at all it was very confused I was like bong bong it, it was like part of me is like you just play the piano so um eventually got piano lessons and uh, that's kind of where it went from there. Like my fascination with music. Um, I was not great at practicing the piano or I should say I was not disciplined in practicing the piano. I was a really good sight reader. I could figure things out really well. Um, and uh, I found myself like improvising a lot, but I didn't realize that was composing at all. It was wrong you know like you're not supposed to add notes to beethoven or you're not supposed to kind of like <laughs> we should add notes yeah. to beethoven i you know it's really fun and i you know what considering he went like you know he was all experimentalist ish toward the end of his life i i think he would be okay with it just <laughs> as long as you got some good like angst in there i think that he would have been down 
Um, so uh, when I was in high school, I actually was taking piano very seriously. Uh, I transferred high schools to the uh, Orange County School of the Arts uh, in Los Al. It's now in Santa Ana, California. And uh, I remember I had this like heart to heart talk with my piano teacher, basically like it was like I wasn't serious enough, uh, but I said I wanted to be a composer. I was really into film scores. Um, the original Star Wars episodes were back in the theater. I thought it was really cool what John Williams did the score. I like what he did with Jurassic Park and also Jaws. And I was like, I think I'll do film composing. So then I went to USC as an undergraduate with uh, the emphasis in film composing, although okay. I switched to concert music um, my junior year. So how'd you make yeah, that I've, switch? How did I make that switch? You know, I uh, I was actually an uh, intern for a film composer in Los Angeles, which was actually a lot of fun. Granted, I um, did little errands um, and uh, one of the errands actually was, so it was composer Rolf Kenton who did the soundtrack for um, Legally Blonde, just, just for the context. And uh, he's from England, so I had to like send CDs, so we'd burn a copy of his music to send to his mom back home. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like my job to like fill out the customs form and say that it was like worth a dollar and, you know, do that. Um, I also got to lay down uh, click tracks and... I also arranged the music for the albums because, you know, when you have the film score outside of the context of the visual scene and he's like, I've written this music. He's like, why don't you like spend the afternoon putting it in order? Oh, and he also had these boom whackers and we'd like improv at the end of my gig. So that was, oh, that was kind of fun. Wow. fun. Um, but I also went to a couple spotting sessions. So that is where uh, the director in post-production shows the film composer kind of what kind of vibe they want. And they have what's called a temp track. And I went to one of my scoring sessions to a film that I don't think was released. It didn't do well in the screenings. And the spotting session was like after that screening. And unfortunately, the director was not in a good mood. And it was, uh, I remember like, okay, as a freshman that I got to go in and it was catered. So I got this like most delicious yes. salad and Lord I was up. like, oh, this is so fun. But then the director was like, that was funny. Wasn't that funny? And they're like, oh, it was totally funny. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> um, like a lot of yes men were in that meeting. Um, also, I noticed that there was no creative control with the film composer and the director. And that is not what I understood as the relationship that Steven Spielberg had with John Williams, because they have a functional, healthy relationship where he's like, here's my idea, John Williams, you do your thing. And that's what I thought what a lot of film scoring was. And I realized it's not what it was. And so I, um, I wanted to switch over. I was like, you know what, I think I can do this on my own. You know, I think I have some things to say maybe um and i remember i was talking to um to kelly about this because i was studying with him at the time and it was actually a, like a month or two after september 11th happened and he's like okay I, I support you but um you know we've had some really like traumatic events happen to us as a country you might want to like hold off on it before you make any major life decisions but i was like no no i'm really serious about this so Mm -hmm. that, that's where I made the switch. Um, that being said, if there are any directors out there that wants to work with me in that, you just let me do <laughs> let what me I know. do. Just let me know. But um, Maybe, I, Jen, uh, you can write the music to the movie about your life. Weird. <laughs> 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 I mean, 
I don't know. I, except I probably want to sound cool. I'll be like, does this need a trap set? I don't know how to write. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There, there you go. That's an idea. I like that. idea. And now a word from our sponsor. The Bandroom Podcast is proudly supported by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Kaleidoscope Adventures is a full-service student trip planner with more than 26 years of inspiring student travel. Dylan and I have had positive experiences on school music trips, so we both know how much these meaningful opportunities contribute to students' musical development and create lasting memories. Kaleidoscope Adventures specializes in organizing unique trips to over 40 student-friendly destinations. If you're planning a student trip, you can count on the Kaleidoscope Adventures professionals to collaborate with you to organize the perfect education or performance tour. When you're ready to plan your next adventure, visit kaleidoscopeadventures.com. That's kaleidoscopeadventures.com. And um, I mean, you're you're one of those composers that I love because you can't be pigeonholed in any kind of um, medium, which is awesome. And but we are in the band room, so yes. <laughs> I am wondering, was it was it kind of Tekeli's influence that that led you to start writing for Wind Ensemble? You know, ironically, no. I had no idea who Frank Tekeli was when I started at USC. Like, no yeah, I just was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, he's a really good teacher. He gets performances. Um, yes, he writes a lot of band music, but I didn't know how big of a deal uh, to Kelly was until he like my junior year of college. He said, oh, um, I was a special guest for the Rose Parade. And he's like, I didn't realize how many people camp out the night before. And he was basically saying he's taking his daughter, Hannah, who's like four years old at the time. And he was able to drive up and get a parking spot. I'm like, Holy shit. <laughs> You're wow. that famous. You're that famous. Because um, my experience, I've never been to the Rose Parade. I've always wanted to go when I was younger, but my parents are like, we don't want you. Well, my that's a whole other story. But like a lot of people camp out on Colorado Boulevard the night before. And it's kind of crazy. I've actually walked around in Pasadena on New Year's Eve and it's just like sleeping bag. It's kind of chaotic. There's a lot of people. It gets cold. I know that people outside of Southern California will be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it actually dips down <laughs> in December. Um, and that's why you have the sleeping bags and people are bundled up. It gets, it gets pretty cold. And so like to have somebody not have to camp out or get there super like 3am in the morning to observe the Rose parade. I, I knew that Frank to Kelly was a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love story. this metric um, of I, success. I will say, uh, I know, I know, I have weird <laughs> metrics of success. <laughs> that and he said he almost paid off his house in Pasadena. And I was like, oh, damn. Whoa. That's that's a big deal. <laughs> um, but uh, what actually got me interested in writing band music was um, my first year at USC. Um, uh, Erica Mall was our group teacher. And she said, you will always go to every single band concert and you'll go to every single percussion concert. Um, so I did. I did what I was told. I went to every single band concert. I didn't realize that their new band director was this guy named like H. Robert Reynolds. Who knew? I, again, I had like no idea who these people were. Um, and Sharon Lavery was there at the time too, whom I got to meet eventually. Um, and I actually got to see her again this past summer after like 20 years. But um, 
yeah, I, I love the idea that they always played new music. They always treated composers with respect. And I was like, I would love, love, love to write for band someday. So mm. that's kind of how I got interested in it. Oh, very cool. Very cool. It's awesome. Yeah. That reminds me of with my community band members in my rehearsal uh, this week were saying, do you ever program, you know, Mozart, or Beethoven? I'm like, no, go to go to orchestra if you want that. We play band music here. <laughs> that is true. That is true. There are a couple, as you all know, a couple of things for um, for winds, Mozart and Beethoven, uh, mm -hmm. probably a little bit more difficult to perform. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we just, the band just didn't have that history. So what I love about band too is that we're like creating our own history, which is great. I love yeah. it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I kind of cringe a little bit when people talk about a band canon because I don't really think there is really one <laughs> can we also cancel that word yeah can we just eliminate yeah. it that'd be great we only want double n cannons in band music. <laughs>, <laughs>, laughs nervously all right um i don't i mean we don't, we don't have to go through the whole bio because we have lots of great questions i think that, yeah, that will dive deep but what was it after usc how did you become a professor person um, it was a long road. Um, actually, funny story about my 12-year-old self. I actually wanted to be a professor person since I was 12 because I thought that if I got my doctorate, I'd know everything and I'd get paid lots of money. Wow. Oh. No. And I know it's like, oh, Jen. Oh, little Jen Jolly. That's adorable. Um, so after USC, I was actually a little bit burnt out. And I also, um, my teacher, Stephen Hartke, was like, you should take some time off from school, which was not my original plan. I had this all planned out. Like I was going to get all three de degrees from USC. I was going to get my doctorate. And then I was going to write music and be a professor. And that is not how that all works. So um, after USC, um, I moved out of California to Vermont, uh, Burlington, Vermont. Uh, I saw snow for the first time as a 22 year old. Um, I worked at Ann Taylor Loft, and I was also choir director at the Waterbury Congregational Church, and I worked as a piano accompanist at the Lake Champlain Waldorf School in Sheldon, Vermont. And I stayed there for four years, and it was actually kind of great because I got to, like, chill out, but also um, I got to have different experiences, like conducting a church choir, um, <laughs> which is a very interesting experience. Um, um, also, um, getting to know, uh, what's called Eurythmy at Waldorf schools. It's not Eurythmics. Let me just be very clear with that, but they have movements with song and speech sounds, which I found very fascinating. And it used my compositional skills because I had to improvise a lot with mm -hmm. what they were doing. Wow. Um, and then after a while, I was like, okay, I think it's, it's kind of time to go back to grad school. I've, um, I've always wanted to like get my doctorate in composition. I didn't exactly know what that means, but I felt like I still needed to further my education. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to a music composition program in uh, Cortula, Croatia, actually. And it was run oh, wow. by Professor Joel Hoffman, who was head of the Cincinnati Conservatory um, the College Conservatory of Music, and then I was like, you know, I wouldn't mind studying with Joel Hoffman, and they gave me the most money, and so I ended up going um, to CCM for graduate school, and then um, I had a lot of teaching experience while I was there, so um, I was able to 
even adjunct at Northern Kentucky University. And I was then able to get a job at Ohio Wesleyan University. So I was just very lucky and fortunate yeah. of how I was able to get a job immediately, which does not happen. And I have to remind my students of that. Mm -hmm. And it's always, I always find it so interesting. I mean, you, you do have those people that, that end up, you know, doing that degree, degree, degree. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a, um, I'm a professor person, but mm -hmm. so much, on, especially in the podcast, when we have these conversations to hear that time, that time, that zigzag time we have before we get to where we, you know, will be temporarily. Um, oh, and absolutely. also it, it's kind of cool to hear how, you know, you, you started as little Jen watching the, the church pianist and then you end up working in a church and improvising yeah. and doing all those things. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Very cool. And now a word from our sponsor. You know, Kate, I often think back to my time at music camp and how important that time was not only in my growth as a musician, but as a person. I feel the same way. My first time performing original music in front of a big audience was at a music camp, and many of the people I met at camp are still friends and colleagues of mine today. 2022 marks the 60th anniversary of the Interprovincial Music Camp. That's right, 60 years of being Canada's most comprehensive music camp. IMC offers specialized camps for all levels of band, orchestra, choir, musical theater, rock, jazz, and songwriting. Students can learn from faculty that include members of major symphony orchestras, Juno and Grammy Award winners, touring musicians, and music educators. Also, new this year is IMC's beginning band camp, open to campers ages 9 to 14. Located at the beautiful Camp Manitou on Manitowabing Lake, located in the heart of Muskoka Perry Sound region of Ontario, Canada, IMC facilities are second to none. With fully equipped cabins, outstanding meals with one of the chefs dedicated to preparing meals for those with specific dietary needs. IMC is unique in that it is centered around music, but also offers a true camp experience, including traditional activities such as swimming, sailing, water skiing, beach volleyball, and much more, as well as evening programs for the campers each night after the faculty concert. IMC provides young musicians with comprehensive and exceptional musical training with faculty members who are some of Canada's finest performers and educators some of which include past bandroom guest, conductor, clinician, and educator Colin Clark, Dr. Colleen Richardson from Western University, Dominic Desotel, Principal Clarinet of the Canadian Opera Company, Sarah Jeffrey, Principal Oboe of the Toronto Symphony, and Vanessa Freilich, Associate Principal Trombone of the Toronto Symphony. They all bring a wealth of teaching experience and performing skills and are passionate about sharing their love of music with young musicians. Don't miss the opportunity to grow, be inspired, have fun, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Stay connected by following them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at imc.ca. That's imc.ca. To learn more about how you or someone you know can celebrate 60 years of the Interprovincial Music Camp, visit campimc.ca. That's campimc.ca. Could you tell us about what led you to your new position at Lehman College and what you're most looking forward to during your time at Lehman? Yeah, so um, Lehman, so an interesting story about the position at Lehman College. This is actually John Curliano's very first job. 
um, when he graduated from Not Columbia. Um, I actually found out a couple of days ago, the story was how he got the job was his mom called Lehman College <laughs> and asked them to hire him and gave the school money. I'm like, wow, that was a different time. And let's yeah. be real, like not that he needed it because like John, everybody knows who John Carliano is. He's actually a really good uh, educator specifically with composition. And mm-hmm. he finally retired from this position. Um, and my friend Jason Noble teaches here and he's like, Hey, uh, we have this position, you know, no pressure. It's John Carliano's old position, but I think you'd be really good at it because you really like helping students. You're really good at finding students that like, maybe they don't get selected right away. Like they're not the shiny superstars, but you like working with students who like to work hard and have that potential. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, um, as much as I like miss my students at Texas Tech, um, I tried to make Texas work out, but mm-hmm. over the last four years, it was getting increasingly hostile toward people who are not cis hetero white men. And even if you are a cis hetero white man, um, there's this whole like concealed carry without a license type thing amongst other things. So um, mm-hmm. I applied for the job. Uh, the long story short was I got it. Um, One thing I'm very much looking forward to in this job is that it has kind of that small liberal arts environment feel. Um, I teach mostly undergrads. Uh, They do have a graduate program, but it's in music ed, and it turns out the graduate students, if they want to do composition, will be be, um, going to the CUNY Graduate Center. And there is potential for me to teach there in the future. I just have to, you know, get acquainted with everything first. Um, a lot of these students are from the Bronx. Uh, this is a Hispanic-serving institution. I actually think I'm the whitest person there, and I'm only half white. Um, actually, I take that back. I have one white student, but everybody else is a student of color, which is kind of great. Um, I like that they're hard workers. Um, and I will say one of the challenges is trying to establish a baseline. So the good news is I like doing that, and I have experience in doing that. Um, So even though I don't have any composition students right now, I actually uh, get to teach uh, orchestration, which is a class that for some reason at Texas Tech, they did not have me teach at all. Okay. We can go into that. We won't go in that. It's whatever. (laughs) It's your podcast, but. um, Save me some editing. Yeah, (laughs) we we could do some editing, you know, Um, but. I'm here to establish a baseline level. I'm excited that these students are willing to learn and they're excited to learn. They like music and I'm excited that I'm here to help them. Um, I even got a discord channel up for them and I see them like with their study group. So um, I am looking forward to building this program. Um, They might have a new music ed program soon, Mm -hmm. we hope. Um, and then just going out from there. And I think that, uh, especially being in New York City, there's a huge opportunity and a lot of performances that my students can participate in. There's just like a lot of artistic people here and I think they deserve it. So um, I, I'm really looking forward to this job. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I missed being in a major city. Mm-hmm. I am so happy right now. Like, I don't have to like say hi to people on the street. I can just like... <laughs> go on my way and be an asshole like it's totally okay um you know i can i can actually not that i'm out really late at night but i feel somewhat safe because there's still a lot of people outside you know mm-hmm. um, again it is still a major city i still have to be careful but like i'm used to that i kind of missed mm-hmm. that so 
Um, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm looking forward to to building up at Lehman College. It's gonna be great. So exciting. Yeah, yeah I'm very no, excited it, about it. It's great. And I remember uh, I read, uh, you know, you know, whenever a, a, a new all-star faculty comes to a school, but the university <laughs> usually is an interview. But just yeah. reading reading that interview that Lehman did with you. And to hear you talk about those things, about wanting to make music more accessible. And, oh, yeah. you know, and it's not just in your classes or your your colleagues' classes studying Western classical music as we know it, but but beginning to take the stigma off of of other types of musics and, and that they're all valuable to learn about. No, absolutely. And um, as I was mentioning to my students, the only drawback, only the only judgmental thing they they had with me was like I told them that I might have to be a Mets fan. And I literally live within <laughs> walking distance of Yankee Stadium. And this one girl's like, why are you rooting for the Mets? I was like, oh, yeah, you weren't here on the first day of classes. I'm from L.A. I root for the Dodgers. And I'm going to Mets game today and I'll be rooting for the Dodgers. But I understand because the other day your patron saint of the Bronx, a.k.a. Bad Bunny, was literally in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I think when we hit a triplets, I'm going to have to be like, are not triplets. Those are not triplets. This is just, you know, so um, that time will come soon. But um, yeah, no, all their music is valid. Mm-hmm. Why not? Like. They like listening to it and it's what yeah. they grew up with. So what I'm going to say, that's not valid. That's probably what people have been telling them their whole lives. It's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. Yes. <sighs> well, you've, you've spoken about, you know, being in Ohio and everywhere. You've had so many different teaching positions in different states. So we're, we're wondering, this is a big question, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's a great question. Um, what are you noticing about trends and priorities of music schools and maybe specifically in, in composition departments? Okay, so um, I will start small and then go wider. So um, I just got here. But basically what I can tell already is this is something that all colleges are going through, which is a decline in student population. So 2025 is going to be that freshman class where we have the results of the 2008 market crash or the recession. Mm. Um, So what I've noticed for composition is uh, I'm not saying they're allowing more students, but they're really trying to recruit more students because they're going to be fewer students who study composition. Um, Another thing that I've noticed, um, and this is, again, probably internationally, international wide, I'm not 100% sure about this, but because of the pandemic, it actually put a hamper on meeting together in large groups, as I'm sure you all can relate to. What this means Mm -hmm. is... I don't want to talk about it. uh, Okay, so we won't talk about it, but what what this meant was, like, there used to be a requirement for master's and doctoral students where they should have a large ensemble in their portfolio. Traditionally, it has been orchestra, but obviously it could be orchestra, it can be a wind ensemble, and quite possibly a large choir, quite possibly. And the reason why they ask for that is because they want to see your competency in writing for all different types of instruments, and that's the best way to do it. And there's like kind of a little bit of a different skill set in writing for a chamber group, where you can be a little bit more virtuosic and agile versus a large ensemble. Depending on your ensemble, there's some certain compositional challenges for it. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't ask students to write a large ensemble piece during the pandemic. And I might further argue that you have to come from a place of privilege to write a large ensemble piece. And 
not just send in a MIDI mock-up, but also have a live performance of it. And again, I used to teach at a small liberal arts college. I teach at a smaller program right now. To get a wind ensemble performance, okay, that might be easier than an orchestra performance, but like, good luck. You have to wrangle at least 60 people in the same room at the same time. And so what I've noticed in some auditions for graduate programs in composition was they were waiving that. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's going to come back. I think it depends on the school, but at the same time, they want people to apply to these programs. So I wonder what's gonna happen with uh, not necessarily the quality of the applicants. I actually don't think the quality will change, but I wonder if the uh, procedure for portfolio will definitely change because of this. So that is a trend I'm certainly noticing. Uh, just again, less large ensemble, but more of like you can make your own ensemble or try just try to get it uh, recorded. Um, for music ed programs, based in, let's say, Ohio, New York, and Texas. So I'm going to use Texas here. I think that'll make the Texans happy. But <laughs> you will notice that there's, uh, they're like known for having like technically brilliant students, you know, mm -hmm. the uh, PLM and all this stuff. And I went to TMAA this past February, et cetera, et cetera. And what I've noticed is like they will spend money in their middle school and have like an in-house teacher and depending on their school district, because money is a unifying or non-unifying factor here, um, the level of, of technical playing is really good. You don't really get that as much in Ohio. And what I've noticed in New York State is there are actually quite a lot of programs that start beginning band in ninth grade. Wow. So, um, for example, I was teaching orchestration class uh, on Thursday, and I saw this, the teacher there with the high schoolers. This is Cecilia Cruz High School, and they do their uh, band classes at Lehman College. And uh, my high school colleague, Penny, was showing the clarinets and talking about reeds, and she's like, pray for us. <laughs> They're starting clarinet. But it depends on where they went to middle school, because like if the middle school has money, then they're going to have like a middle school program and start them mm -hmm. earlier. But, you know, when they go to a high school and this is a magnet high school, I don't know which their specialty is. I don't know if it's like a technical school or something like that, um, but they actually come from all around. So they have a mix specifically of those who've never touched a clarinet as a middle schooler and those who are like, you know, they're waiting around for them to find the, their reeds, you know, and their mm -hmm. fingers and whatnot. So mm -hmm. I might be hearing hot crust buns for the next couple of weeks in my future, but they'll catch up. So it's, um, it's fascinating to me based on background and state funding and kind of tradition of like where they are when they start their beginning band programs. Mm -hmm. That's what I've observed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you're in a great spot, I think, to um, kind of continue pushing your philosophy and your ideas. Um, in your bio, it says Jennifer's work draws towards subjects that are political and even provocative. Uh, Ooh, so we're curious if you would mind talking about how you use music, uh, not only to move people, but to make people think. Yeah, um, I'm either fortunate or unfortunate. Um, 
in writing with music. So I remember when I was, uh, I think I was living in Vermont and I saw some Michael Moore documentary and he was talking about all these like terrible things that were happening. And I remember I was like, had some kind of existential crisis where I was like, I write music. I don't even know if that does anything. Like why even write music? Mm. If like we're going on, it's just like stupid war in Iraq or people are starving or the, the world is warming up. Um, what is my purpose in life? And uh, I remember when I was working at Ohio Wesleyan, they actually, um, they're, they were founded by Methodists, but they're not part of, you know, the Wesleyan franchise, I guess is the best way of putting it. Uh, but they did have a, um, uh, a chaplain in a chaplain office. And that guy's there actually just to help out with like maybe religious slash spiritual slash questioning students, a general good guy. He'd also like uh, give a non-denominational prayer at the beginning of faculty meetings, basically like give us the power to like listen to each other and not argue too much. And I was like, oh, bless. Uh, anyway, um, I remember I'd run into John and uh, he's like, oh, so great to see you, Jennifer. He's like, you do such a service through your music. And I'm like, what? What are you even talking about? I don't understand. Um, and I realized that I do have something to give as a musician. I do have something to say. Uh, granted, it is in the most abstract art form ever. I don't use words. I don't use symbols or images. I use music. Um, but I've learned that the way I work as a composer, what I'm inspired by is stuff I read about, stuff that I'm surrounded by. Um, and that just comes out to my music because I only have so much time to write my pieces. Mm -hmm. And those happen to be politically charged at the same time. I feel like I'm more of like a citizen of the world and I have feelings and I just want people to know about my feelings and I, I put them into music the best way I can. Um, I will also say that I, I spend a lot of time on my program notes just to kind mm -hmm. of explain the piece. And it gives, like, it gives me another way of expressing how I feel. So um, with those two things combined, I feel like I can, you know, ha have people think about, well, what is this piece about? Um, uh, an example of that is a piece that I wrote for Michigan State recently. Um, that's a whole long story. It was supposed to be in celebration of their band program, but then the contract got messed up and then a pandemic happened. So uh, what ended up happening was I ended up writing a piece about the um, the Mars uh, uh Oh, what's what's the what's the name of the perseverance about Mars perseverance, but also uh, United um, Emirates, uh, Arab Emirates, and also China had another like these Mars satellites, and so I named it Questions to Heaven because that was the name of the Chinese one. I was like, oh, that's such a great title. Um, but ultimately, it was my isolation in the pandemic. I was like, this is a piece that I wanted to write or that I wanted to hear during the pandemic to give myself a hug. Like I just needed something comforting and pretty to get me through this isolation and this kind of a little bit of a terror because I was not writing music at that time. It was a good day if I showered. Um, I remember talking to my therapist saying like, I started putting on makeup again. I know that seems silly. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, she's like, by the way, good eyeliner. I'm like, yeah, it's been six months. <laughs> But it was a sign that things were like I was adapting to the sphere and adapting to this isolation. But that's ultimately what that piece is about. And you can't really like hear my piece and be like, oh, it was about Jen grappling with 
isolation. Right. I was like, no, I should probably explain it. Mm -hmm. That's all. Oh, that's yeah, great. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying this because it's going to be on YouTube or in podcast land, but like the both of you are, are two people who inspire me every time I, I see a piece or I see one of your programs, Caitlin, or the, the work you're doing with, and we were heard and knowing that our why in music isn't just to make pretty sounds or to do really hard things, but there's, there's more that we can do. And I, I want to talk about this and hopefully we can do it in such a way that we don't throw anyone under the bus. But I remember our friend, uh, Christian Michael Folk posted, um, something on Facebook about your March. And, um, oh, yeah. and it was, it was kind of, it was eye opening, um, because yeah, it was, it was like kind of a joke, right? Like mm -hmm. everyone should play Jennifer Jolly Bush and Sousa shouldn't be played anymore. Obviously that it, that probably won't happen. Um, but just to kind of read the comments and how angry people got. Um, so I think about the piece like, uh, like the March that, you know, you, it helps you with your, uh, that's help. Sorry. Um, with your Korean heritage, but also you're adding this, this, I don't want to say disruptor, but it's, it's a March that's not by Sousa or by King or by whoever into the repertoire. And mm -hmm. just by doing that is a statement. You know, uh, when that Facebook thread dropped, like I think I was like teaching all day and then I like <laughs> went back and I'm just seeing loads and loads of comments. Um, I, I had a couple of uh, reactions to it. One, I thought it was hilarious because this is my impish self where I was like, I'm going to destroy the March, um, <laughs> which I do and I don't. But I, I mean, that's a whole thing. But like, you can tell that people were still thinking about it, which kind of made me happy. Um, also, what I found fascinating was some people are like, well, this is what the march means, and this is what the piece means, and this is what, you know. And the thing is, I'm still thinking about what marches mean to me still. Um, mm -hmm. As a side note, um, on the premiere, it was premiered at Interlochen by Steve Davis. Bless them for doing that premiere. Uh, my parents tuned in. I was actually mm -hmm. really worried what my mom would think. I was like, hey, mom, so just letting you know, I added Korean tunes. Okay, bye. Uh, you know, because I just didn't know. <laughs> how she react. And I definitely wrote this piece with her in mind. Uh, but anyways, my dad wrote me an email and he said that he found it very moving. It reminded him of when uh, he was actually a Mormon missionary in Korea and he heard the Aguka, the, the national anthem, and it brought, made him a little misty eyed. But he was also like, Jennifer, you can't destroy the march. Marches are important and celebratory. And I was like, oh my God. So I had to respond to my dad and say like, dad, I love the march. It's just complicated. Mm -hmm. Like in a way, I don't want to destroy the march. I actually really like Sousa. I actually disagree with those who say that people shouldn't play Sousa again mm -hmm. because I think they're good pieces. Like I, I really love them. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I saw this thread and people were still debating about it, I was like, I was kind of like, excited because I didn't think I'd write a piece of music that people would still think about, but it was kind of my goal. And I'm still thinking about this piece myself. So um, I kind of encouraged the debate. Plus I was there to just like, <laughs> you know, going like, LOL, this is hilarious. This is exactly what I wanted. I'm destroying the march. I'm not, I can't destroy the march. It's literally mm -hmm. impossible. I'm just showing it how sometimes marches are used as this like false, like superhero, you know, and I'm just taking, you know, just having them strip them of like the, the, the leotard and, and whatnot, and just show what the March really does or what it can do. And 
people can still think about it. Well, and not only that, but a, a lot of times a, a way that we can show that we love something is by kind of tearing it apart into different pieces and really getting mm -hmm. in and evaluating and, and being critical in a way. And it's interesting to see how defensive people can be when you're being critical about something they love, but, but Hey, I love it too. And we can also be critical. So yeah, I just, I'm also, that. yeah. Also like literally high school kids premiered this piece and I'm like, I'm making them play North Korean matches. Like part of me is questioning like more morality here where I'm just like, am I a terrible person? Yes. Yeah. But then like, I've heard, I've seen some like Koreans, like when I tell them about this piece and they're just like laughing so hard because like, Kim Jong-il, like, laughable. I, I remember there was once there's this blog post called Kim Jong-il looking at things. And it was just photographs of him, like, pointing at things and inspecting things and making sure North Korea, the Republic, the Republic of North Korea, <laughs> Democratic Republic of North Korea was, like, functioning and right. awesome. So there you have it. <sighs> there you go. And now a word from our sponsor. It seems like almost every episode we talk about the importance of community. Often maybe our guests bring it up to why they became interested in band. Community is a big part of why many of us do what we do. Absolutely, and that's why I love our new partnership with the Canadian Band Association, to share an opportunity for you to be part of a national community of band directors, musicians, and educators. And becoming a member is easy. By joining your provincial band chapter, you automatically become a member of the Canadian Band Association. No matter if you're in British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador, or anywhere in between, there is a band association for you. Yes, even my homeland of Prince Edward Island. They started a new one, which is very exciting. Membership benefits include access to the Canadian Winds Journal, monthly e-news, national insurance program, national youth band audition discounts for students, access to national awards and musician certificates. Not to mention all the great events your own provincial chapters will hold. Conducting workshops, community band events, reading sessions, workshops, and more. Support band and music education in Canada through supporting the work being done by your local chapter. To learn more about how you can become a member of the Canadian Band Association, visit canadianband.org chapters to find info on how to connect with your provincial chapter. That's canadianband.org chapters to learn how you can be part of the Canadian Band community. I think it's great. And then I was also thinking about... Um, uh, well, this is related, but not related, but you, cause I keep talking about it. This is the second episode in a row. Um, Caitlin, the, the, what, what, and we are heard doing by kind of bringing to light these marches by female composers that we like didn't know exist. Sure. Well, we knew existed, but they were under a pen name or, mm -hmm. or maybe the, the addition, the old edition had all these weird instruments that, you know, none of us really play anymore. All so, of the above. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been really great to see. And I'm, I'm happy that, um, we're doing it here in a couple of weeks with our third band, which is going to be great on parade. Well, and even that uh, on parade, uh, Amanda Aldridge's march is subversive in a way. It's got mm -hmm. a double trio. It goes into a trio, and then it goes into a trio again. A trio inside happen. a trio. Trioception. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never seen it before. It's mm. so cool. But then you have to play in D flat major. Yeah. Oh, gross. 
make sure you have your keys before you get in your car, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you, you mentioned um, Stephen Davis, and I believe he is part of maybe my next question. I don't know. Um, but you've recently um, begun a journey to learn more about conducting. And I was wondering if you could tell us what kind of triggered that decision to, to add this to your, your already amazing skill set. Yeah. Um, well, I actually loved conducting when I was an undergraduate, but I was always mm. under the impression I needed to specialize. Right. Which is unfortunate, um, just because everything is all interrelated. And um, what I've discovered about conducting is it's made me a better composer, hands down. Mm. Like now I ask myself why I do certain things in my score. I think that Ash has way too many time signature changes. Like <laughs> I kind of hate myself with that. Oh, well, like there's a reason why I did it. But um, so before the pandemic, this has been something that's been nagging at me about like, I should conduct again. Like I had that church choir conducting in, um, in Waterbury, Vermont. Um, also maybe the reason why I didn't get into it was like my instrumental music conducting teacher at USC way back in the day. He's no longer there. It was just not a great experience. I thought maybe choral conducting, but I was like, no, I need to specialize, but probably about five years ago. No, actually 2019 or 20, maybe it's 2020. Hear me out. This was before everything shut down. And I was at OMEA and I was thinking about it. And then I was having um, lunch with uh, my friend Jeff Gershman and also Frank to Kelly. And we we're going to have lunch in downtown Cincinnati. And I was like, maybe I should ask to Kelly if this is a good idea because he does both. And I right. said, hey, so I'm thinking about conducting. And Frank's like, yeah, just do it. I did. I'm thinking, well, yeah, dude, you're Frank to Kelly. But uh, anyway, so he's like, yeah, just do it. And then he was like, you know what you should do is you should sign up for a conducting seminar and uh, audit it. Just audit it. Don't participate. But then after you audit, you see what they do. And then you'll want to get up and conduct. I was like, cool, I'll totally do that. And then um, our friend Mary Kate McNally was like, oh, yeah, you should totally do it. You should do the one at UMKC with Steve Davis. I'm like, I love Steve Davis. He's super supportive. He works really well with kids since we've been working at Interlocking for years. I'm like, cool, I'll do it. Then the pandemic happened. So that was a fun time. Um, but then when we were starting to thaw a little, I was like, okay, I'll do this, but I'm going to audit it. And right beforehand, uh, Steve had this project where he's like, you know, there are only so many wing quint uh, octets. And uh, he's like, you know, if you think that it's a matter of being diverse with them, it's just that there just aren't very many, period. So what he did was um, he had his student, Mark Monner, do some arrangements of you know, different types of rep. And they did Ash probably because of those time changes. Mm -hmm. It's hard. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. I've done okay. it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I've done it. I, I'm like, and I'm like yelling at myself. So uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so I was like, I'll do it. And uh, I, I remember thinking like, oh no, I haven't memorized the pieces. I haven't learned anything, but you know, I'll do it. And uh, Steve was telling people like, oh, I think Jen Jolly might be here. Um, so, I, so I went, um, as Steve tends to do when I'm in a room, he's like, look at Jen over there. I'm like, great. Hi. My disguise didn't work today. <laughs> yeah. My disguise <laughs> did not work today. Um, so, so anyways, a lot of students, they got the opportunity to, to pick Ash. There are two excerpts mm -hmm. and he's like, maybe I'll have you conduct something at the end. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. But, um, at the end I decided to do my own piece. He laughed and part of me is like, it's the only one I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
I mean, at this time I could have done something else, but I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And I didn't bring up a ton, like, but I just did it. And um, it was really nerve wracking. I had the conductor vibratos, those on YouTube can see. And, um, but um, I was like, why not? And then Sarah McCoin, my colleague at Texas Tech, heard I did this. And uh, as composers, or sorry, conductors were like curious how I conducted it because they want to make sure they're conducting it correctly. I'm like, yo, you're probably a better conductor than I am. <laughs> Just don't drag my piece. Like if you go uh, under, I think I have a, like either 69 or 72 beats a minute. Uh, I forgot. Um, if you go slower than that, I will hurt you. But other than that, like, <laughs> do you want a big break? Do you want to kind of have a little California rolling stop pause? That's fine. I don't care. But I like a lot of conducting students were like, Am I conducting it right? I'm like, just don't drag. I was like, mm -hmm. I think that like uh, the other conductors will tell you if you're doing something wrong um, or you won't get the results you want. So anyways, um, it's been a lot of fun. It's definitely taking me out of my comfort zone. Um, it's really forcing me to know the music, which is great. Um, and I think I've turned into one of those conductors where I'm like, I think it should be bowed instead of detache. It should be arpeggiando. And then I like text my friend, Evan Williams. I'm like, are you sure you don't want arpeggiando? He's like, no, I want detache. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, I do that too. So I'm a little bit of a composer still, but at the okay. same time, it's really fun to understand the genesis and the reasoning, which is mm -hmm. what I like doing when I analyze music anyway. It has made me a better composer. So I'm a little bit more aware of like, ensemble issues also how would you get the most expressive bit in the ensemble and uh it was fun conducting my own pieces i conducted a couple of other pieces that aren't mine and i did a little bit with the ttu new music ensemble so now that i'm here at lehman college i'll have to find some other opportunities um, to conduct and i have been asked this semester but right now i'm trying to actually get settled in and do things like yeah go get my driver's license transferred over and things like right. that. So Ooh, I got to do that too. I know. <laughs> I, I, I thought of you, Caitlin. I was like, we're in this together. Solidarity. Yes. Yeah. Both made big moves. So uh, speaking of kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, an another thing that you're well known for doing is being very transparent um, with your experience with failure. I think, uh, in our profession, um, you post many rejection letters from grant organizations and composition com competitions and programs on your blog, Why Compose? Um, so we're curious, how do you use failure as a vehicle for your growth and why you think it's important uh, to be so transparent on the topic? Yeah, well, just as a quick intro as to how I got started, um, I didn't have Obamacare as a grad student, so therefore I needed therapy, and that was the best way I dealt with rejection, because it mm -hmm. sucked, and I was not getting awards whatsoever, um, and so I was like, oh, I need some material for my blog, because it was, you know, 2008 right? It was like a while ago. Um, so I started posting rejection letters. I did not know I'd get a following. I just needed to deal with it because I couldn't afford as a therapist and rejections are like hurtful, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad I've been transparent about it because ultimately there are more rejections that we'll all get. We're technically in the minority, but also what it's helped me realize over time was that I'm not good at applying to competitions, um, now that I've been on the other side of things, uh, there's a committee who judges competitions and committees are not people. 
it's a, it can be a number system or it could be like, right. you know, a political barter system where it's like, but I really like this guy. Like, who's going to fight for you? You don't know it's anonymous or maybe it's not anonymous. Could be that somebody else has a better recording than you do. I mean, there's so many factors in this. And so I've just learned that I just want to make music with my friends. And I'd rather like for me, the way I've made connections was like I went to concerts like excitedly like I was like yes I'm going to a concert and just hanging out with people and getting to know them and having a conversation and making music together so I'm way better at that than I am with competitions um I will also say that pedagogically I'm really glad I scrapbooked these because um, occasionally I'll have a student interlock and he's like Dr. Jolly how do I win competition I'm like first of all wrong person to ask like <laughs> hmm hmm do you do you not like do you know who I am like not that guy. At the same time, I can say like, look, this is something that will take time. And yes, you should apply for everything, especially when you mm -hmm. have the time and energy. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have as much time and as much energy of uh, in so much that I actually have a whole backlog of rejection letters that I have not posted yet. That's where I'm at. Now. Wow. Um, yeah, so you might actually, I might post a rejection letter from the Rome Prize on November 1st to prove that I'm not applying for them anymore. Because I didn't go to an, I didn't go to an Ivy League, so they're probably not going to mm -hmm. consider me. I'm, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. Yeah. Um, so um, I have like this trajectory of showing them that, look, I've gotten rejection letters too. Uh, it doesn't mean to not try. It means to try. Mm -hmm. Um, because you never know, but this is this part of the process and it sucks. But um, if you're okay with this type of rejection, then it's definitely worth it. And mm -hmm. there is solidarity in knowing that a lot of us have so many rejection letters. It's not even funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and I, <clears throat> by the way, everyone, Jen's in the Bronx. If you, if you <laughs> couldn't tell. Oh, yeah, the sirens. <laughs> The siren. That yeah. one might yeah. actually be a real emergency. Sometimes we'll just get like little ones, and I'm like, oh, yeah. you just want to go to the donut shop. Mm. <laughs> Do they have good donuts in the Bronx? <clears throat> um, you know, I haven't tried uh, donuts, but I've definitely tried cannolis since I'm nearby Ooh, Little girl. Italy. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more later. We will. Yeah, that was a good. That was a good segue. Oh, I thought it was coming back. That was boomeranging. Um. No, I was going to say, I, I, I just, it's, it's so, I wish it happened more that people, people who we look up to like you, Jen, um, be real about it because it, it, it just, it helps so much to understand that these things, these extrinsic things that we view as, as really leading us as artists and in our careers aren't really what is. And usually when we follow the intrinsic, that's what leads to, to mm -hmm. whatever we want our success to be. So to see you be so open about this is, is awesome. And I can imagine how many people it helps whenever they see, oh my gosh, Jen Jolly. Yeah, <laughs> like well, she, she got rejected by something? No thank way. you. It was, it was so bad at first though. I was like, I don't oh, know, oh. man, I'm not going <laughs> to <Yeah>. make it. <laughs> it's yeah. so terrible. Well, I, but I'm glad. I'm glad. You know what? I'd rather have it this way. I'm glad that mm -hmm. it's there for people. Um, I wish it was there for me. Like, because mm -hmm. we would just put polished stuff and like, you know, with social media, it would be like, oh, I got this thing. And then we're like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Yeah. No, no. Kate and I talk about that a lot. We'd be like, oh, someone posted this, but 
let's just remember it has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. <laughs> but but it's, it's really just not. the world we live in now that that you know everything is out there. Yeah. Um, mostly the good stuff though. But yeah, mostly the good yeah. stuff. Correct. So I got to get on it. So I will. Yeah. I'll start posting them. I just got to make them okay. pretty, like draw files. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll make sure to link everything. We're going to link a, a lot of the pieces that failures. we're speaking about today too. Yeah, all the failures. Just all the failures them. though. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing I want to swing back to is is your conducting journey. And and I just love the reminder that that it, you don't need to specialize. I mean, you know, learn what you can. And I, because I have the same feeling that you mentioned about composing. Like, I just feel like I can't do it because I didn't, you know, formally study it. And, uh, and that's one thing Kate always talks to me about being like, no, you should, you always have opinions about things and how they should be changed. For real so, though. Yeah. That means you can be a composer because um, I always thought, thought about this uh, abstract idea called style. Like what is style? And in fact, my mm. first composition teacher at USC said, you don't get a style until you're 40. I'm like, well, so I've had a style for a year now. That's adorable. And um, that's not true. It's like, thank you. Actually, it's, it's a little baby style me, you know, but uh, we always have opinions about music and that's where music mm. comes from. Everybody mm. knows what they like. And we yeah. composers try to put what we like in our music. <laughs> We, I would like to like my own music. Sometimes I don't always. Sometimes, definitely two weeks before pieces do, I'm like, this is terrible. I really, you know, and that's when I like send my score to Kate and be like, take me off the cliff. <laughs> I'm like, please, please help me, Caitlin. It doesn't suck. You got great stuff, girl. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're doing okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's there's there's already been so many kind of words of wisdom, ideas that you've shared with us, but I want more. Um, so we've come to uh, the last official question of our, of our interview. Um, but the three of us are going to go off into bonus episode land to record a very quick little bonus episode for our Patreon community. And you can learn more about that by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod. That's patreon.com slash bandroompod for more. Not only that, maybe you could get a mug or a sticker Mm, a t-shirt? Anyway, okay, I'm done. Um, so, Jen, if you could give one piece of advice, maybe two, maybe three, um, to up-and-coming composers, musicians in general, what would it be? Um, I've told people to be curious, and I think that mm. helps every single creator. And we're all creators. We're humans. We have a natural tendency to create things. We have a natural tendency to find meanings in different types of things. And so uh, with that, if you wanna get music specific, go to concerts, I would say read about things. Um, again, part of picking up conducting again was, I was curious about it, like why not? And then I told myself, will I catch on fire or die? And the answers were no and no, <laughs> so it's okay. Um, it's been scary though. Like I definitely still tense up on the podium and it turns out like I'd hold my breath, which is not good for wind band conducting. I learned that the hard way. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think what drives me as a composer is that I'm just fascinated by different things. So a um, piece that I'm going to be writing for a uh, Serif Brass, uh, Brass Quintet and Texas Tech Wind Ensemble. Um, I'm gonna have it about tunes of Texas. And I found out that there is a tune called I'm Gonna Leave Old Texas Now, which is a rancher's lament 
about um, the fencing mandate that happened at the turn of the 19th century. By the way, Caitlin, I saw your face and part of me is like, yeah, I'm totally going there. But uh, <laughs> but I'm curious about cool. it. I was like, dude, what? And I found like this um, Lomax books collection of cowboy tunes online. And so awesome. you know, I was supposed to be like writing music. I was just like, searching through all but there was even one about how one turned into a mormon bishop and that was raised mormons i was like wait what so there's this cowboy song about mormon bishops and how he went and joined brigham young and i was like dude that's not gonna go into my music but i'm just curious about these things Mm -hmm. and it just makes me happy and and i love going to concerts and so the more you're curious about the more you get to learn and then the better musician and composer, creator, and human you will be, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's an exciting time. We should all just go on these like internet deep dives, but you know, still be a good <laughs> human too. Yes, absolutely. What a beautiful way. This is beautiful. Be curious. I think, and this goes this goes back to what I love about our our last question. Usually, this one is perfect for a T-shirt. I'm going to start this series. It's going to say, "Be curious," and then quote Jen Jolly. Okay, but I also kind of, yeah, you have, to give, you have to give me royalties, <laughs> but don't add, uh, be curious, not judgmental, because then we'll go up the Ted Lasso yeah. folks, but we have to figure out that it might we be. We can put Walt the rest Whitten. on the back. We could put, a, we could find the original Walt Whitman quote, and then it's under public <laughs> domain, and then we're all good. You yeah. say Walt Whitman, Jen Jolly, like that Michael and Scott. And, and then the list of other people. <laughs> 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 Uh, no, but, but thank you so much for for coming on the show and and do and sharing all of your story, all of the inspiration. I'm I'm just I I already mentioned it, but I'm just so grateful to to have you as an example, um, and for everyone to have you as an example of of being vulnerable and how that not only um, improves yourself, but it improves the people around you and the way that your music affects people and affects change beyond just the concert hall is, is a wonderful and beautiful thing. So thank you so much, Jen, for, for being on the band room. Thank you so much for having me. We love you, Jen. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom podcast. Give us a rating and a review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. Our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. <laughs>